Yahoo announced a security breach affecting upwards of 1 billion user accounts. Cyber attack leaves 145 million eBay users at risk. Target announced up to 110 million customers may have had their identity and financial information compromised. Cyber security breach at Equifax could affect 143 million American consumers. And now your host, Nexus IT Group. Welcome back to another episode of Hacked into the Minds of Cybersecurity Leaders brought to you by Nexus IT Security Group. This is your host, Ben Hotailing. Today we welcome on Sandra Crosswell. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. So Sandra is the first ever CISO slash CSO for Sonic Ball. She has previously run the Red Team program for VMware and brings a breadth of knowledge in the cybersecurity space, having run enterprise programs at some of the largest technology firms in the world. We're going to chat a little bit about penetration testing, Red Teams, the role of the CISO, and techniques for hiring security professionals. But first things first, as always, Sandra, please tell us your story. How'd you get into IT and to where you are today? Yeah, so I've actually been at IT, I swear, pretty much since the Flintstones. You know, I grew up in computer operations and sort of moved into project and program management. I built a bunch of data centers, and I really like project management, and, and, and so I concentrated in that area, and I got to work in a lot of different industries, which gave me a really good perspective on how IT projects are implemented in, under those circumstances, some big, some small. And then uh, probably around... Six years ago, I got the opportunity to become a project manager in a security architecture and engineering team. And so I ran compliance and security projects for them. And so I got to really like and appreciate the growth that was coming in the security field. And and I was able to kind of segue from the IT infrastructure side onto the security side. From there, I worked on uh, two of the cloud properties that uh, VMware has had over the years and then ended up being in vulnerability and then on into the red team and then where I am today at SonicWall. Fantastic. So let's get things kicked off, starting to talk about the role of the CISO and being the first ever CISO at for SonicWall and you having a strong background in you know, project program management. Do you think that your background, the path that you took has set you up to be very successful in this role at SonicWall? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Project management is all about managing risk. There's tons of things coming at you all of the time and you have to make splits second decisions on what's important and what's not important, and it's not unlike that in security. At the end of the day, there's always going to be threats, and so you want to make sure that you're actually assessing the threat and putting business context around it so that you can decide what to work on next. Sure, sure. So in your opinion, maybe currently or that you've already gone through, what's been the biggest challenge in stepping into this role? So I heard a great quote recently, security puts the no in innovation. The biggest thing is you got to help the company overcome their fear that you're going to stop every project for security concerns. It takes a while to get to know the, the, the different business units and their individual appetite for risk and change, and, and you need to gain their trust so you can move your projects forward. As a community, we need to communicate in the language of the business we're speaking with, and and not expect them to be fluent in security terms. Security's been crying wolf essentially for years, not really wolf, but appearing to 
outright wolf for years. And, and now we have the stage. I don't know if many of your listeners were at Black Hat. Alex Stamos of Facebook talked about this in his Black Hat keynote. People are listening to security now, and, and we can't blow it. We have the stage, right? And then recently I gave a talk on how the security practice is like a Jenga game. You've got a tower, and, you know, that's your company, and, and it's wobbling, and most of the time it doesn't fall down. And, and that's because individual pieces are working together to create a tension. And those pieces are your employees and your security measures and keeping all those in balance with all the challenges and threats. And honestly, the unknown is, is, is quite challenging. And then you're sifting through a constant barrage of threat and technology information. By the way, I have to spend at least two hours a day just reading and then maintain a sense of calm. And, and there's days that's difficult. Like you can't be too complacent, and then you can't be hair on fire either. And maintaining that delicate balance of risk and reward, it, it's, it's pretty demanding. Again, it's just a Jenga game. And most of the time, thankfully, the tower is just wobbling and you know not falling down. Now, being the first ever individual in this seat, What's been some of the challenges or you know, some of the bigger challenges that you faced in creating and developing this role? Well, we were part of Dell for years, and so, you know, they had a pretty big security infrastructure behind them. So it's easy to become, you know, the cobbler's children with no shoes and, and underestimate, you know, the resources and time it takes to build out your own security program. And really tempting to kind of focus on the areas you know very well to take that quick win. But lots of times those areas aren't the highest risk for Donaqual. So I have to take a look at those things, you know, individually every day. We all share the challenge of this big moving picture. It's budget and priorities. And sometimes you, you have to get out of your comfort zone to learn and work in an area that you know less about because it has a higher risk profile. So I like to keep a running list of everything I want to do and so then I have the ability to pivot quickly if circumstances change and they're affecting what you thought you were going to work on work on next. Another challenge is bridging the cultural challenges of a new company. You know, in our case, we're a security company, so understandably the teams have this sense of pride, you know, they're doing everything right. You have some people that know, well, maybe not everything. And, and they're thankful that I'm here now building out a team. And I think security is viewed as one team. While we all know IT has a bunch of disciplines, networking, virtualization, sysadmins, there's the same level of specialization in, in a security team, you know, pen testing, ops, threat hunting, incident response, compliance, government, that kind of thing. And so people view security as this one team that does everything and their roles are not well understood. So that can be a, a bit of a challenge in a, in a new org. Well, let's talk about your time leading the red team at VMware. Really excited to get your thoughts and learn a little bit more about your experience in the, the pen testing world. So first off, you know, I know when we talked previously, it sounded like came into the role, had you know, maybe not as effective of a red team as it could be. So you tell us a little bit about building a red team basically from scratch. Yeah, it was a fun time. So we already actually had the talent, thankfully, but, you know, the workflow needed improvements. And I noticed when I came on board, we had sort of a PR perception issue of being a roadblock to progress. So in our model, 
the red team gave final approval before any production change went live. And so if you found anything significant, and like one or two things would happen. Either the project got stopped and everyone was unhappy, or the PMs, the project managers, would start putting undue pressure on the pen testers to give them a waiver so their projects continue. And so frankly, both of these models needed some work. Common sense as a new manager is you observe for 90 days before making any changes. Well, I just gave up on that immediately, and, and I eliminated all the risk waivers. I restructured the work, and I implemented some other shift-left type activities that really kind of pushed us forward. And here's where the project management thing helped a lot. So I work with the PMO to illustrate they're overrunning the schedule in coding, and, and the testing cycle wasn't being honored. We simply didn't have enough time to test, report, and have them remediate. And that that was really a project management issue and not the red team is not doing their job. So, you know, we published our testing guidelines so everybody knew what to expect, strengthened a lot of the requirements back in the architecture phase, and then we put in a self-service scanner so they could test themselves and, you know, clean up the easy stuff before it got to us. That freed up a lot of the back and forth. So, you know, my pen testers who are scarce resources could focus on, on more testing. And, and it was painful for a short period of time, but pretty quickly we, the improvements made a real difference, and not only to the people in the work, but, you know, to the security posture of the company. And I was really proud how we retained our team, even though they were constantly getting lucrative offers from top-tier employers. As we know, that's always uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges, keeping uh, keeping a hold of the good guys. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. So you know, being in that space, having you know, basically built up this new program from scratch and also you're running with it, sounds like you guys were, were very successful. Did you happen to get any you know, nuggets or, or would you share any nuggets of advice for an individual that was you know in your seat previously or maybe a, a company doesn't even have a red team and they're looking to build one from scratch. What advice would you share with somebody that's, uh, that's in that process? Well, I guess I can kind of talk about what makes an effective red team, like what kinds of people do you, do you want to put on the team? So you need to sort of understand what their purpose is. You're hiring an internal team to essentially ethically hack your network. Done well, those individuals are not only testing, but they're having conversations with your business to prioritize the fixes and and have a dialogue with all the system owners and and make sure the risk that's being described has a shared perspective of both the business and security, right? So one thing that helps is to spend years of vulnerability analysts. There's a lot of fuzziness between the difference between a, a vulnerability person and a red team tester. Vulnerability analysts are running essentially your scanners. And so you have to have that foundation, in my opinion, to be a good pen tester. You get to know the network. You get to know all the admins and developers and understand what issues the companies has remediating. And that makes you a stronger tester. If you're just reporting, you know, XYZ needs to be patched and you don't have any understanding of how hard that can be in some organizations that have legacy OS and software, and then it's difficult to make the jump to be an effective internal pen tester. Because remember, you're not just cranking out a report, you're actually negotiating how this is going to be remediated. I have found in practice-wise that there's sort of three things that, you know, beyond the hiring, which we can talk about in a moment, but 
there's three things I like to do. So you've already got your test team. You want to rotate your testers and assign a manager on duty. And you need to develop and publish testing standards that you're constantly updating with the latest threat methods. And then implementing a self-scanner really helps a lot too so that teams feel like they have a sense of control and uh, they're fixing things, dumb things, before it gets to the testers. Your testers are, tend to silo in your area of expertise. So, for example, you know, I know Wi-Fi testing, and so I'm going to take all the Wi-Fi test cases. I actually got rid of that practice my first week. So the pen testers would rotate weekly. Somebody be manager on duty, and we triage everything coming in over the transom and make sure it got assigned to someone on the team. By having them test everything, we got rid of the silo effect because we would have project managers literally answer shopping their project to favorable testers to, to gain a waiver and avoid remediation, right? So this could be either, hey, I'm going to get my friend to waive this, or, or they try to get somebody they knew didn't know wireless as well, and so they could get their project done. That's their job, get the project through the whole process. By having everyone test everything, we got rid of that. And then the manager on duty also stopped that practice. So those two things made a really big difference. Mm -hmm. um, and we gave the pen testers back some control over their day. So by nature, you know, you're, you're testing, you're heads down, you're, you're chasing whatever exploit it is. And these constant interruptions were causing a lower quality of life and, in fact, work product. So, you know, that was a big thing. We also had testing standards, and we made sure all the tests got a peer review, especially if you've never tested wireless and you're new to it and you're working through the standards as you build your own knowledge base. Um, having a peer review really elevated the overall technical strength of the team pretty quickly. So if you got stuck, you could get some help, and if you finished your test and you missed something, that you know the peer would really go in and help you elevate your skills in that level and, and, and deliver a better test. Another thing we did was we implemented standard test report style. And so I was pretty ruthless on the style of the substance early on because, you know, again, we had a PR reputation problem. So I wanted to, to bring up the perception of the team rapidly, and that was one of the ways we did it. But, you know, pretty quickly everything was flowing and projects were patched and we could expand our testing efforts into things that were on our own wish list and not just things that came at us and, and some sort of work queue. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely seems like an interesting environment when you have teams that you, you should be you working in unison with or trying to, to bargain with you to you know, help things go along faster without necessarily addressing what needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. So let's talk a little bit about the talent and, and the individual, the, the personality that is successful on a red team. So how do you identify that? I guess, first off, what is that? And, and what did you do to you know, identify that? My opinion was really good testers and pen testers. It's kind of a unique crew of people. They tend to be curious, brilliant, arrogant, high IQ, fiercely independent adrenaline junkies. So, and it, it takes a little bit of work to kind of smooth that out so they can work effectively on an internal red team, but it, it's so worth it because they deliver a lot of value you just wouldn't get otherwise. Almost all organizations have some level of in-house application development going on, and 
I require my testers know at least the programming language, you know, Python, Java, etc. It didn't used to be required. It's pretty much critical now. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to be put in a seat where you had to hire testing team from scratch, you know, you had the talent you on right. the team at VMware already. So what do you think that you would do to you pull out some of those unique personality traits that make this person successful and impactful? Yeah, so I look for them to have it minimally an OSCP certification and then an OSCE is like highly desirable. Now, not a lot of people have these, but they're pretty much impossible to fake. You can't study a book and, and pass them. It's real live experiences required in order to, to get it, and it's really hard. And even good people don't have it. So if they have those two things, that's really good. A lot of this recruiting, honestly, pick a couple people that are good testers on your team or a good tester you know at another company or from a meetup group and have them help you do some recruiting at some of the top hacking type shows, ShmooCon, DerbyCon, NollCon, DefCon, like people that hang out at these events, especially the first three tend to be very serious about their career. They're serious about being competitive and being better than other people. And, and you want these like amazing hunters, right? You're, you're looking for those that can be better than the attacker. And so it's really gamification in their job every day. So it's, a, it's just such a unique personality thing. So I'm looking for people who are spending a lot of time advancing their career outside of work they're going to meetup groups, they're in all the hacker conferences, like people have heard of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely sounds like somebody that's fully invested, fully passionate when it comes to you know, technology security, somebody that would do this regardless of the paycheck or not. Right. On top of it, it's like, well, you know, once you have a team, you have to invest in them. So they're going to do a fair amount of work on their own. And this actually is really the defining factor on whether or not the person's going to be successful, in my opinion, is they're doing stuff on their own, but you also have to pay for some of the more expensive things to keep them happy. There's an online thing called Pen Tester Academy. That's excellent. And there's SANS courses, and they're quite a bit more expensive, and it's an investment in both time and, and money. But those kinds of things help keep their skills tuned, and it helps keep them happy and, and working for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let me paint you a little picture, and hopefully you can you steer me in the right direction. So let's say I'm, a, I'm an 18-year-old kid love technology, love the idea of you know, being a hacker, just got into college. What does my path look like to making my way onto a, a red team you know, or a, a pen tester? Okay. So this is a little bit harder even three or four years ago than it is today. So, you know, hacking is illegal. So where do you hone your skills, right? You can take classes all day long and it doesn't matter. It's not enough. So you got to learn how to hack ethically. So to start out, you definitely need to have a machine with some virtual machines. You need to learn Kali Linux. And there's tons and tons of events called Capture the Flags or CTF. That's essentially where you get a task and you break it, and then you go to level two, and you get a task and you break it, and you go to level three, and so on. And you can come back to it at any time. If you get stuck on something and it forces you to go and learn, like how do I break into this fill-in-the-blank task? 
most of the people that have gotten themselves into the hacking field have done it that way. Also, you have to go to the conferences. You need to go to B-sides, you need to go to meetup groups, you need to hang out with other hackers and kind of create your own tribe because then you become known by other people. And, you know, I go to meetup groups. There's always recruiters. There's always one of them I go to, they ask, who's hiring and who's looking for a job? And so when you introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm Sandra from SonicWall, if I have an open position, I'm going to talk about it. And if somebody's looking for a job, they say, these are my skills. And then you get matched up just through natural networking. If you Google GitHub Awesome Pen Test, you'll find the greatest collection of pen testing resources in the world. Things you can read, things you can buy, things you can test. I, I can't stress enough. If you want to get in the field, that particular GitHub site is your friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome insight. Now, let's say I do become successful. I find my way you know, onto a red team. And looking ahead and looking at you know, where my career could possibly go, you know, what will that experience do for me and propelling me forward in my career? Well, it worked out pretty good for me. I'm a CISO now, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, one of the favorite aspects of the job is, is to grow someone's team, right? So I'm always preparing my employees for their next job. And the red team's like such a great path to something like security architecture. You've got to be a good breaker before you can be a good builder. So you know, on the red team side, you're breaking. And on the architecture side, you're building. And so if you really understand weakness, then you can build your structure stronger. And in this role, you tend to, this is on an internal pen testing job, you're going to network with a lot of people in the company. Like everything can't be patched this or else. You're, you're going to be negotiating timelines and discussing mitigation. And, and, you know, you might say no to something. And if it's critical or high impact, those are going to get escalated. And how you present yourself and, and the data in those meetings are key to your personal growth. If a breach should happen, usually they assemble a small team to work through it, and they always grab a pen tester. And the people that are easy to work with and, and can translate technical risk or they have a highly specialized skill, those are the people who get picked for that. And then that team gets a huge amount of visibility, and that can propel your career in directions you can't even imagine. Again, security is all about managing risk. There's a number of fields within the profession you can move to easily. You may not want to be a pen tester forever, but there's so many other disciplines, architecture, engineering, product security is a little bit different than infrastructure security. You can move around a lot to broaden out your, your skill set. So I think it's the people that do that well will be in high demand for quite a, quite a bit of time to come. Couldn't agree more on, on that piece seems like if you know how to break it, it's the only way that you can you know, build something effectively. I think that one of the things that's challenging there is that good pen testers are a rare breed. They really like the thrill of the hunt. They like figuring out how to be smarter than the attacker. And so they don't always want to progress beyond that to a different career. And that's okay. You know, if you're passionate about what you do every day, then do that. On our last episode, I chatted with Josh Danielson. He's a CISO at uh, Copart. 
And you know, he had an interesting perspective on bringing in a company, bringing in a consulting firm to do a pen test. He thought there were only a very few ways for it to be successful and worth the money. He thought there was a couple other things that you could do to gain that, that insight internally using those resources. So I'm really curious on your end, let's say we have a very successful pen test. What can a company learn that's worth the value of you bringing in that company to to do that pen test? What would be you know, really valuable for that company that they couldn't have found out internally? I think the biggest thing is people underestimate how much time it takes to do a pretty wide pen test of your company. So when you're internal, your your team almost always has projects in the pipeline that have to do with the release. We're releasing some software. We're releasing a project. To have a dedicated ability to just sustained attack against the company, it's hard to do. And the second piece, and I don't understand why this is, it's actually pretty frustrating. We can have a pen tester test something and say, you know, this is bad, and no one cares. But a third-party pen test can say the same thing is bad, and it gets attention. So sometimes it's important to have a third-party perspective that has no bias about the inside of the organization, and people just simply take it more seriously. I think that will decline. Having an internal red team is not the norm. It's a rather new approach. Not many companies have them in, in the scheme of how many companies there are. As a couple of years go by, I think you'll see the reputation of the red team start to decrease the need for an internal request of an external test. You're always going to have compliance requirements that say a third party has to do it, but in terms of you doing it yourself, I'll, I think you'll see that start to decline as, as the red teams start to grow. Well, let's hop into hiring. Let's talk about the profession. What have you found to be effective in identifying and hiring security professionals on a broad stroke? Not necessarily on a red team, pen testing team, but on a broad stroke. You know, what have you found to be effective in the identification of a successful security professional? Just like any team, you have to look at holistically what you want your team to look like. And I feel like that should be a blend of tribal knowledge, some early career stage eagerness. I like to see the discipline and loyalty and, and desire to protect that you get from the military. Those are great foundations for, for a security team. For example, I hired someone from the Europe internship program. I have military disabled vet on my team, and I moved up someone promising inside the company to kick off my initial group. You have to have a good blend of personalities, but then some tenure in order to, to make an effective team. Local colleges, now that there's some cybersecurity programs out there, they always have promising students, have a relationship with the professors that are teaching in that field and try to snag someone early and develop them to be a part of your team. You know, you're looking for people with discretion and they're good under pressure and they can think both big picture and tactically. And I always like to have someone who, who knows how to mentor to make sure we're growing our teams in the direction we want to go. I think you look inside your company for talented people that have interests. You know, hold a hiring event, talk about the different disciplines and, and what you're looking for. I mean, network and system admins obviously are a good candidate for coming into a security operations center. 
project managers, business analysts, people with legal background and privacy, they can easily pivot into governance and compliance roles. Developers can specialize in secure coding and move into testing. It's definitely less expensive to invest in known talent than to hire externally. And, and then you're, you gain employee satisfaction and you provide a lucrative and growing career path. We all know that retaining that tribal knowledge of how the business works is, is like gold. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you need a diverse blend of new talent, folks, mid and late career to, to make up an effective team. That definitely makes a lot of sense there. Looking internal, they already know the environment and you know, great candidates for those roles like you, you mentioned. If you do have to go external with so many jobs out there available for these individuals that do bring the talent and the skills to the table, a lot of different firms are looking for. There's got to be something that helps not only get them in the door, but makes them say, yes, like I, I want to be a part of this. So you know, what's your pitch? How do you sell them on you know, joining your team? You have to provide the conferences. You have to provide the training and education. They need to be working with other people that they can respect and collaborate with. You know, I think people have a vision of hackers as being this lone wolf in a basement in a hoodie someplace, and they're actually like to talk to each other. They need a community. So being able to provide a sense of community, whether it's within your own team or reaching out on the product security side, Creating that sense of community is big. They like to have tools and toys, really high-end engineering machines, lots of software, lots of things like Pentester Academy, because they know they have to stay on top of their skill set. And, and, you know, kind of once you get in the corporate environment, it, it gets a little bit harder to do that. So also freedom. A lot of them, for some reason, seem to be night owls, and you might have a global team. So you might end up having the folks in APJ working your day shift in the U.S., and it's okay as long as the work gets done. So lots of flexibility on when they work and how they work, I think, is is very attractive to this particular segment of employment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, what about diversification of responsibilities and, and tasks? It's pretty easy to bring someone in and you know say, hey, you're going to be the one that you know, manages this SIM tool or, or what have you. But somebody that does have career aspirations, you know, what can you do to you know, give them a diverse range of responsibilities? Right. So one thing I, I did at VMware was I always assigned somebody a major pen test, let's say firewall auditing to somebody who knew absolutely nothing about firewalls. And then I would demand they they deliver the same standard of excellence as the firewall guru, for example. And that forces them to get out and collaborate and read up on best practices. And, you know, they might have to take a couple of passes through it until they kind of bring it up to standard, but they're challenged and they grow. So that's important. I think in some of the other disciplines, um, companies that run good tabletop exercises where the red team will, with collaborating with the blue team in engineering, you can create scenarios that were being attacked, and then everyone in all the security disciplines participates in those live tabletop exercises, and they get to see the attack happen, and, and they try to solve it together. And, and there's always lessons learned on those that you can go back and figure out which members of your team or, or yourself are weak, and then you the smart people go out and figure out, why didn't I know that? How could I learn it? 
what suggestions can I make to tweaking the environment to to detect this faster? And so the tabletop exercise is, is really key. Okay, great. I want to get your opinion on the talent gap, the talent shortage. What are your thoughts to it? We touched a little bit on looking inside your company. I think that uh, there's just simply no way we're going to be able to hire enough people. I think the talent shortage has created an opportunity for a lot of really smart people to pivot their career in a new place. And, and you should be out recruiting internally as well as externally and talking to smart people that do something else. You know, everybody's seen the numbers around the cybersecurity shortage of people, and every week it seems to go up by like another million people. So mm -hmm. it's pretty clear that something's going to have to change here pretty soon. Gotcha. So you don't think that it's already upon us? You think that we have room until this, this doomsday cloud is over our heads? I think it's already upon us. I don't think we're going to close the gap with people. I think we're going to close the gap with technology. You've got a million gazillion pieces of data coming in from all these sensors and logs, and then you've got a shortage of talent to look at it. A lot of companies are already delivering on a subset of AI known as machine learning. Most of security is really looking for a pattern and anomaly. Is, is it an anomaly in authorization or how a user behaves or, or some other analytic? It sounds futuristic, but lots of companies are doing this today, just simply assessing email that's coming in and whether or not it's malicious. You know, we're taking the knowledge from millions of sensors. And even though it's you know, it might be something crafted yesterday. It's probably a variant of something we already know. We just like 20 questions, and, and that's machine learning. And a lot of this happens every day, all day, without the intervention of a single member of the staff. I'm starting to see stats that machine learning is going to be doing pretty much 25% of security as early as next year. And end-user analytics and automated responses to what's found there are going to be probably around 10%. And this is a very growing field. So, you know, we need to get to the point where all this data and alerts are, are pre-sifted before our security people even see it. So the volume is just too great. There's no way we're going to hire enough people and get them trained in time to make those micro decisions. They're going to have to happen with a machine. Then we need skilled humans to provide context to the alert. That stuff's a little bit harder to learn because it's specific to your particular company. Near term, we're gonna have micro decisions made by systems, but there'll be lots of jobs for people. They're just gonna be highly skilled. Definitely understand and definitely agree with you. Let's hop into overrated, underrated. We'll let you, you get on with your, your day, but got a couple good ones for you. Penetration, testing, focus. So I'm curious on your thoughts. Let's get things kicked off with social engineering. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? I think it depends on the context of your business. For the average company, a little bit of social engineering is happening to everybody regarding business email compromise. Other types of businesses, probably around retail and maybe some SCADA-type industries, I think they're underrating how much social engineering is going on. Next one, ethical hacking certifications. What do you think? Is that overrated or underrated? I think they're underrated. It depends on which one you get. The CEH, 
I don't know. I feel like that's table stakes. I don't even look at that. The OSCP and OSCE are so difficult and broad and impossible to study for. I believe they are underrated. I want to see that when I hire somebody because that immediately I know this person knows what they're doing. And now I'm looking for how wide is their knowledge and can they fit with the team? Okay. Okay. So just to challenge you on that a little bit, you know, if they were able to acquire those certifications, it seems like it's almost a, a badge of honor. I have this breadth of knowledge, but it seems like they would have already had that knowledge without the certification. Is that accurate? It is, but you've got to have some sort of differentiator. I mean, certainly, you know, the pen testing role, we, we had a very, very detailed interview process. Each member of the team had a specific discipline they drilled on, and we actually interviewed to failure because we wanted to know where did you technically break. And that didn't mean you didn't get hired, but we just need to see based on your personal mix, is it what we're looking for? Or are you just exceptional in this particular area and I'm now looking for that? It isn't a, a deal breaker because so few people have it, but you get a whole bunch of gold stars for having it, unlike a lot of other certs. Sure, fair enough. So from an identification standpoint, you know you're going to talk to somebody that brings skills to the table that someone else down the street may not. Correct. And if, if not, I'm going to be looking to that person to pass that certification while they're working for us. Okay. Well, last one, and then we will let you go. Really interested on, on your thoughts here. Black hats moving into corporate roles. Is that overrated or underrated? I don't feel like it's either. I, I think black hats realize that they're they're not going to be able to sustain that as a career and and it's pretty demanding to go from one to the other and on, on the other hand there's a lot of companies that wouldn't wouldn't trust them i mean they're certainly being used in a lot of industries i'm kind of neutral on it i think it depends on the individual sure yeah fair enough just seems like you know this sexy thing that's what gets all the uh, you know hits on uh, you know all the clickbait you hired this guy that broke in and now he's working for us 24 hours later but uh hey thanks for coming on really appreciate it awesome conversation and it's uh, expected fantastic insight well thank you so much we want to thank everyone for listening to today's podcast brought to you by nexus it group if you're looking for a new career challenge let's chat if you're looking to hire new talent, reach out. Or if you just want to talk about cybersecurity, email us at info at nexusitgroup.com. Until next time, stay safe and stay secure.